0: From the Child and Family Policy Center, this is A Deeper Dive, a child policy podcast. I'm Anne Disher with the Child and Family Policy Center. Today, a deeper dive into an issue that's pretty much deeply embedded in the DNA of our organization child care. I'm here with my center colleague Sheila Hansen, our early childhood guru, and Dave Stone, advocacy officer with United Way of Central Iowa. Dave and Sheila are in the front lines at the state capitol right now when it comes to child care and child care assistance issues in our state. Sheila and Dave, thanks for being here today. You know, just yesterday, I ran across a data point that I know we all use a lot, and I think it really frames the issue. 75% of young children in Iowa, I know you know this statistic, um, are in families where all available parents are in the labor force. That's the highest share in the country. We're tied with Minnesota and Nebraska right now. Um, Clearly, Iowa, more than even the vast majority of states, needs a high-quality, affordable, accessible childcare system. Young parents of young children are working. So, what do you think? Do we have that system?
1: Well, thank you for having me here, Uh, and the answer is sadly no. Um, If anything in Iowa, the child care system has very much been hitting a crisis point, and whether it be in terms of access uh, and the child care deserts that we have across the state uh, as a lack of providers are available, uh, or if it's the actual structure of our child care assistance program um, at the state level which bars very needy families from gaining the access to the care that they need. Um, so really at this point we're, we're at crisis level um, for Iowa and uh, it's something that we've been working on for a number of years at United Way of Central Iowa uh, and I know that Child Family Policy Center has as well uh, but we're still uh, not making the head ground that we need to make uh, in this area.
0: And I want to tease out a couple of those points that you mentioned, and one is the idea of a childcare desert. Can you talk about what that means?
2: Um, yeah, generally speaking, if there, there's a percentage. If you have a certain number of slots um, unavailable and uh, and a, and the number of children, um, so they just sort of compare that um, those two together. And so if you have more children then you have slots available then there's a child care desert and uh, many of this many of our counties do fall under child care deserts and um, i don't recall the number off the top of my head but um and the county that i actually live in webster county is in a child care desert and a lot of people don't think of polk county as actually being short of child care but polk county is also short of child care and do you think about um, fort dodge and webster county or even des moines um, that there are child care centers there are child care homes um, so then you think about those rural areas where there's very little uh, um, child care homes or even even a childcare center to be, you know, within a 50-mile radius. So families aren't able to access it within their own community. They may have to drive away from their own town or their own home to access child care. Mm-hmm.
1: The best example I always bring up uh, this session is just last summer, uh, the only licensed child care center in Iowa Falls, uh, population 5,000 here in our state. Closed uh, as a result of, uh, of being unable to make the finances work under our current system, so that town of five thousand people um, has no licensed childcare center. Uh, we have still uh, the the home centers that may not be licensed; um, they only serve you know a small number of kids. They're sort of off our radar, and that's really. Having to meet the need, but in no way could it actually meet the need of the of that community. And so it's real; it's happening, um, and the public are recognizing it. Parents are potentially recognizing it as well, and of course, the legislature is starting to pick up and, and realize that you know there are areas of the state that have absolutely no quality licensed child care center.
2: And many employers are starting to recognize it Also, many of the communities. Uh, have been partnering with the Iowa Women's Foundation also in holding local forums and have brought in employers and and all kinds of community partners and have tried to identify what's, you know, what are the barriers to child care in our community? And I know Dave has worked closely with, um, like, Wells Fargo and uh, um, Casey's other organizations to try to address the need because they realize it's a they need workers, um, and their workers are uh, not able to stay on the job or even apply for jobs because they they lack childcare.
0: Well, the thing that I think is striking about childcare is that you're pulled in two directions. Like it is, it is not cheap to provide high quality, reliable like all the things we know are good for young kids, right? I mean, you're paying people, right, to do that, and yet. What we, what we know is a lot of families can't afford the cost of what that real high-quality care looks like. Mm-hmm. So um, what – and it, it strikes me that that's where the state gets involved or the federal government. That's where the, there's a role for the public sector. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the ways right now that our state helps navigate that <laughs> disparity between what good quality childcare costs and what parents can afford?
1: Well, uh, we at United Way produce a report every few years called the Alice Report, the Asset Limited Income Constrained and Employed Report. And effectively what it is is a cost of living report for every county in Iowa. And what we've found is, A, there's a lot of poverty out there, uh, and then potentially um, a lot more individuals who are working poor, uh, maybe one paycheck away, uh, maybe one flat tire or a broken bone away from financial despair. Uh, this is what we always focus on this population. And what we found as a part of that is um, in the few years that we've been doing this study, child care has become the largest expense for the typical Iowa family budget. Um, we're pegging child care as an average across the state for the year at $12,240. And just to give you an example, for those who are sending kiddos to uh, any of our state's public universities—Iowa State, U.N.I., uh, University of Iowa—tuition there is only about $9,600 a year, and (laughs) only. I agree. I went to Iowa State, uh, but you know, if you could put it in cost of comparison there. Uh, child care is a lot more expensive. It's more expensive than housing. It's more expensive than college. Uh, As I always bring up the college example, when parents and and students are facing financing college, they have options of scholarships, grants, loans. The families who are just starting out in life with young kiddos, under age five, under age six, preschool area, um, those families have no support besides out-of-pocket costs or our state's child care assistance program.
2: And right now in Iowa, a family has to be at the 145% poverty level to qualify for that assistance. And, ch- and, and there's also child care providers who um, take child care assistance in an agreement with the state. And in Iowa ranks anywhere from 45 to 47th in the in the nation in that 145th eligibility level. Uh, so we're not doing a very good job in making child care assistance uh, el- um Available for cha- for families. Right.
0: So I know when we are talking about um, public assistance programs of various sorts, we tend to talk about a percent yeah. of poverty, poverty, and that's of course a percent of the federal poverty level. I think people don't often realize just how low those numbers are. Can you give me a sense of what sort of income level that that means for a family?
1: Absolutely. Uh, it all uh, poverty level changes on an annual basis. Uh, Per the 2019 federal poverty limits, uh, a family of four who earns 145% of poverty would cap out at $37,338 a year. And so just to put that in perspective, again, the average cost of childcare is $12,000 in change per year, and this is a family of four who has to put food on the table, a roof over their heads, transportation, housing, things of that nature. Thirty-seven thousand dollars a year,
0: and, and you know, and I, I credit actually um, Charlie Bruner, who used to run this place, for for helping me understand this. That, of course, so what that means, right, is a family isn't making a choice. I mean, that's not a choice, because like, I assume when you're citing that number, that's for like probably for a young child in center-based care. It'd be like mm-hmm. really the kind of what we would hold up as being a really high-quality child care mm-hmm. experience. Well, that that family of thirty with an income of thirty-seven thousand dollars. That's not even in the cards, right? Like, there, yeah. there's no way they can do that. So, Which means then kids are going into care in maybe less ideal yeah. situations. Because it's not like, oh, well, we'll just change our budget to accommodate $12,000. Right. Like, they can't possibly do
2: that. Well, well, then you think about those those families at 146% of poverty that you're talking about that don't qualify for any assistance at all. And what are they? What are they doing? Because at least that, that family, if they do qualify, um, and they can they can get child care assistance, and all they're, all they have to pay for is a, is a copay, um, depending on where they fall between, like 100% of poverty, they don't have to pay any copay. But as their income goes up, they have a little bit of co- of copay, um, and sometimes you even find some providers that waive that copay also, um, and so they don't end up having to pay any copay. But that's not that just depends on the provider you find. Uh, and and then the quality is, is uh, could be sketchy. Uh, I don't ever want to say that grandma is a bad place to leave your child, but if you they don't qualify for child care assistance, sometimes grandma or aunt or the neighbor is the only place that they can go. And grandma's raised her kids and, and you know has done everything she can and, and is busy and and tired. And so sometimes that child might just be in front of the TV, uh, might not get the kind of child development. Um, that we know that, that they need, the, the activities and, and you know, outdoor activities, indoor activities, the cognitive skills, those sort of things. So, so I, wanna, I just want to think about that just one second. So basically, if you're
0: just under that 145% of poverty, so maybe you make, your family of four makes $36,000 a year, you're getting a, a reasonable amount of subsidy to help you afford childcare. But you get a raise. You go from $36,000 a year, someone in the household makes a little more money, and maybe you're making $38,000 a year, right? A little raise. But let's be clear. What happens with child care for that family? They lose all of their assistance. So they go from having, in theory, their kid in a pretty good, stable situation to being back to all of a sudden looking at that $12,000 bill.
2: Right, but Iowa did... Um, the Child Care Development Block Grant was reauthorized a few years ago, and um, and then just most recently, a child care at the federal level was almost doubled. It went from, I think, $2.5 billion to $5 billion, and so Iowa received some more funds at the federal level. But one of the things that the reauthorization said is that states have to come up with some sort of a plan to deal with that cliff effect, that what if they go from thirty six to $38,000?
1: Uh, as Sheila mentioned, the Child Care Development Block Grant reauthorization of 2014 Uh, required states to really expand their child care assistance programs. And though the majority of states just expanded their main program in terms of eligibility, in terms of reimbursement rates for child care providers, our state chose to develop a second tier system, if you will, what we call Child Care Assistance Plus. So when you're that family and you've earned as little as 15 cents an hour in raise, and you hit that cliff, You'll receive a letter from Department of Human Services that says you no longer are eligible for the main program. And we're putting you into the Child Care Assistance Plus program, which only provides you one year of extended eligibility. You're already off the program effectively, but this is sort of the exit transition, and it's a very hard exit. That cliff is still there, and you get one year to to basically figure out can you make additional income, what will your your costs be, where are you going to put your kiddo in a child care facility. I mean, I could get my PhD tomorrow and I can't double my income in one year. So it's very impractical. And, and when that was put into place, you know, there were problems there. We very much appreciate the extra 12 months of extended eligibility, but it still just delays the cliff effect for 12 months. Right. And so then that family is going to be facing in the month 11, what we hear at United Way all the time. Um, you know, I can't find uh, any place affordable in the metro region to put my kiddo in. Um, When they're at 145% of poverty or just slightly below, they're paying the max copay under our state program. So, And we should be clear, everyone always pays their share depending on where they're at. It's not a completely free system. There's always a copay unless they're significantly low income, and we're talking about below 100% of poverty, which I'm not sure how anyone can even survive in 2019 below poverty line. Um, But now you're suddenly going from a situation where you might be paying $75 a week for for childcare to two hundred dollars or one hundred and eighty, uh, there's no there's no real choice there, and so people do look for what options are available. And so, as Sheila mentioned, that oftentimes is uh, the the unlicensed provider who's just operating out of their home. And we don't want to disparage that. I'm sure there's many good providers out there, but those providers do not. Uh, participate in our quality rating system here in our state. Uh, they are eligible to receive child care assistance benefits, but there are very few inspections. Any, There's no real guarantee that there's a... An basic
2: r- health and safety, exactly. like CPR and first aid, and, and is the is the environment even safe? Are there, you know, vicious animals or, you know, those sorts of things. And, and you know, you think about the, what this does to the child also who has to jump from provider to provider and... And it, it, it's, you know, we want consistent care and that, that child deserves to have that same provider that follows them, um, you know, throughout their age until they at least they go to kindergarten and, and beyond.
0: Well, and this, I, I think I want to tease out a little bit more around the issue around providers because, of course, we started the conversation talking about child care deserts, communities where there's aren't enough slots for the kids who need care. Um, what role can our child care assistance program pay play in getting more providers into the system?
2: And, well, since the reauthorization of the child care development block grant that we mentioned earlier, they, um, the, the feds did say that in order for um, providers to get child care assistance, um, they had to at least start. They had to meet some certain standards, so they raised those standards a little bit. So lots of providers decided to just drop off and not do it at all. Um, what we're facing is a sort of two prongs. They get a they get a reimbursement rate from the from the state, um, and their uh, reimbursement rate hadn't been really raised in the last several years, except for last year. We finally got a little bit of an increase for providers, and many of the providers have um, decided to not accept the reimbursement rates because it's so low. So what we're hoping is that more providers are going to start accepting the reimbursement rate because it was just raised um, this last, in, in January of 2019. But what happened is providers also age out. Many providers decide to just take care of um, children because they have young children at home. Mm-hmm. Their children then go to school, so they're like, I'm done, I'm going to go back into a different field that pays more and because I, I don't have to pay for child care anymore because my child was yeah. at home with me or um, they also just have uh, decided that it's not the pay is terrible they're not gonna mm. they're not gonna do that anymore
0: well you know my personal experience with childcare, which is a few years ago now but both of those that's both those situations ring to ring true um, my my youngest kid my daughter went to a fabulous childcare provider who was not actually registered, didn't need to be, because she had children at home. She cared for a few extra children just to bring in some money. And of course, now her children are older. She did child care for a few years after. And now, of course, she's gone back into a, a different field. And I can also think of someone I know in my neighborhood. And she was a child care provider and actually not sure if she was registered or not, but did it in her home for a long time. It was great. Great provider, she um, took a job working at Outback at Outback Steakhouse, and it was a huge pay increase pay for increase, her. Yeah. She finally just decided she had to make more money.
1: Absolutely, yeah. uh, you know we we've been funding our childcare centers at seventy five percent of the two thousand six market rate, mm-hmm. plus small increases two percent, three percent here or there, for years. And you know, no one can function at two thousand six six market rates. Uh, she, as Sheila mentioned, we were successful last year in a modest increase for child care providers who reach those highest levels of the quality rating system. Well, what does that mean to hit a quality rating system 4 or 5? Well, that means you have to have very highly qualified staff, um, advanced degrees in early childhood education, potentially uh, some nursing skills or health care skills, all that costs money, and for a child care provider, um, hitting a level 5 in our state is almost impossible because you can't make the funds back to that, that warrant all the costs that go into that quality center. So we hear it all the time. Uh, QRS level 5 providers want to drop down to a 4, or others aren't even incentivized to gain a, up higher in the QRS system because it's just the money isn't there to make it ends meet. And though many of these are nonprofit providers, they still have bills to pay. They still have employee payroll to meet. The for-profit providers as well, um, they can't make it work under our current system as well.
0: I feel like there's, and, and we work on this all the time, right? I feel like there's such a compelling story to be made, right? Around how important childcare is for our state, and both for the, you know the you know the healthy development of kids, but also this larger issue around workforce and helping people get into the workforce and stay in the workforce and and build their skills, and get their kids older and all right. And I, I think like we have a governor who really has identified workforce development as an important issue and really has some fairly specific strategies around how to do that. We have communities where it's very clear, and communities represented by all kinds of folks in the capital, there are not enough childcare slots in Town, right? People have to drive to the neighboring town. I believe that I have false example. There were stories about people having to drive to Ames. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why on earth <laughs> are we still sitting here? And, and I, 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 it, one thing that struck me as I'm listening to this conversation and and I get to like ask the pointed question, like the leading questions, right? Um, so we're talking about you know first aid and and QRS this and reimbursement rates. I just wonder. If there's some level of just rejection of that as a – if there's still this idea that, well, they're just kids. They should be mm-hmm. – like, that, that we're just not quite ready to acknowledge child care as, as an important service that we provide that's backed up by – like, where we know a lot of stuff and it's prof- – in professionalizing it. Mm-hmm. Do you get pushback around that kind of issue?
1: I would, I would agree with that. You know, it's still that early child care issue of, oh, they're fine. They'll get what they need. By the time they hit preschool or kindergarten, they're good. And, and you know, unfortunately, this issue is important because uh, brain development and architecture is largely in place, uh, 80% in place in the first three years of life. They're not in school yet. By age five, 90% of brain architecture is in place. Again, just potentially entering preschool. So, while we all think, oh, the toddlers are just, you know, sitting down, playing with toys, watching cartoons, in reality, they're developing lifelong skills. It's how we set them up for their educational trajectory, their career trajectory. Um, You know, those first five years of life are critically important. That's a workforce issue. We're talking about the workforce of 20 years from now. We're also talking about the workforce of today, in that those kiddos, Iowa is a declining population state. We want young families to be producing new young Iowans. And unfortunately, they have no place that's a quality setting for them to place their kid while they both go to work, while both available parents go to work. Um, And and it's unfortunate because, you know, this is both a future workforce issue and a current workforce issue. I've got some interesting stats about uh, just the parents in Iowa right now who are working due to child care challenges. 65% 65% of parents will show up late, leave work or early, or miss a day as a result of child care issues. Provider calls in sick, they can't get the kiddo there in time, what have you. Of that, every year, a parent of a young child will typically lose 8.6 days of work. So there is a, a drain to our our. our, our business partners, our employers, um, you know, this is causing turnover, this is causing um, absenteeism, loss of productivity, and it's sort of a blind spot right now. Uh, And we've been working for years, um, Sheila and myself have been working for years to try and elevate this, but I think it's starting to finally, you know, we're starting to finally hit the nail on the head with folks that, oh, hey, I want to build a new business in my town. But I can't draw the young families because there's no child care. Mm-hmm. A business isn't just going to open up on Main Street uh, without knowing that there is the supports, the workforce, and, uh, you know, the, the funding in place.
0: Well. Both Dave and Sheila, both of you, I feel like there are some success stories. There's communities really working. There are some employers who've really embraced the idea of making sure employees can get right. child care. Can you each maybe tell me a little bit about things that we could take away from
2: this as signs of of hope? Yeah, I think it is reson- It is resonating, and I sort of yeah, try to be a patient. I've been patient for a long time, but I think about the four-year-old preschool program also when I think about child care. And it took us a long time to really get to the point where we needed the state to say we need four-year-old preschool. Four-year-olds need to have that experience before they go to the K-12 system. And 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 then just hopefully I won't lose my point, but four-year-old preschool I think has been one of the barriers also to us getting more money for child care because I think a lot of the legislators thought that, oh we gave you four-year-old preschool, we're done with early childhood. And we're like, well, there's, you know, and so that's why we're trying to say, well, this is a workforce issue now, not just an early childhood issue. We've talked about the brain development, all of those things that young children need, and they think they took care of that with preschool. So now we need to let them know, well, this is a workforce issue. And also four-year-olds have, because Iowa only has a 10-hour-a-week program, um, there needs to be some wraparound care for those four-year-olds also. They need that child care that goes around around the four-year-old program. But um there there have been some businesses that have stepped up to the plate and, you know, um, and are recognizing it. There was a business, um, I think, in, I can't remember, down south, who uh, realized that they were, a police officer came into their business one day and said, um, do you realize that there are unattended children in your parking lot in cars? And they said, well, no, we don't, What's I don't know what's going on, but yeah, sure enough, there were unattended children, and what happened is that they had parents who were working um, two shifts, Um, but there was just enough time in between. The shifts overlapped a little bit, so they had to leave their kids out there. Mm -hmm. So what that employer did is said, well, let's change our shifts. You know, let's we'll give them some time so that it doesn't overlap, so that one can get home or they can change cars or whatever it is they need to do to make because they realized that was an issue. I know that's very that's you know a small example, but there are um, examples of of, of uh, businesses that are providing stipends, saying we're give, we're going to give you a couple hundred dollars um, a month to help you pay for your child care, or I've opened up child care centers on and provided slots for their, for their employer's kids.
1: There are a number of businesses in the Des Moines metro and across the state that provide on-site childcare. Um, unfortunately, if we look at those, a majority of them are full.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And not to name names, but Principal Financial Group has a on-site childcare facility that has a wait list. And so if you're a new employee, if you're, in many cases, you, your child may age out before you have an opportunity of, of putting your kid in that care. But I also, you well, know, what our point is is that business, nonprofits, and government need to come together to work on this issue because no one sector can do it alone. Mm-hmm. And I just want to walk you through a picture of what would it mean if we just put child care on employers. What does that mean? It's in, it's incentivized. Through stipends, as Sheila mentioned, there's on-site child care, but for a business, let's say uh, a business that's located in Ankeny, Iowa, middle of the state effectively, they have on-site child care for uh, their headquarters, but they have uh, locations across the state. And those locations across the state include frontline employees, retail workers, who probably are making, you know, $10, $12 an hour. Um, that's an hour, and one of those locations may be an hour and a half away from from Ankeny, where their child care facility is. Is that worker in Atlantic, Iowa, supposed to drive an hour and a half in the morning to drop off their kiddo, hour and a half back to report to their flexible, algorithmic scheduled shift, and then come back at the end of the night for that? It's not possible. It's not feasible. Is that business who's really committed to uh, helping their employees with child care then? supposed to move away from their business model and open regional child care centers across the state where they have five, six, seven... Because, I mean, we're a big state. It takes three, three and a half hours to crisscross. Uh, you know, it's it's not feasible for business to do it alone. It needs to be business, nonprofits, and government coming together to make the whole system work.
2: One of the things also in the, the state has really not picked up... I don't think the state is really meeting their end of the bargain either. They're, I'm looking at some statistics here, and the state general fund um, for FY 2018 is $39 million. For two, FY 2019, $40 million, FY FY20, $40 million. And I mentioned earlier that the federal government um, had reauthorized CCDBG a few years ago. They finally put money towards it a couple of years ago and now. And that's the
0: Child Care Development, Development Block Grant.
2: Grant thanks. And, and and doubled the amount, um, which is the biggest increase ever that, that child care had received at the federal level. So Iowa received some new funding. And that is reflective in some federal dollars on, on the same graph uh, um, that I'm looking at. Um, but they are still not fully using those federal dollars, just this year's budget has a carryover of $8 million. So what does that mean? We're not using $8 million for some reason, and the state still hasn't increased their share of the state budget. We keep talking about these federal dollars, which is nice, but the state can put state dollars in mm-hmm. anytime they want to, and, and there's nobody is, stopping them from doing that.
0: What is the mix in Iowa of federal versus state funding for child care assistance?
1: Well, you know, when the, the programs were first established, it was very much close 50-50, state funds and federal when funds. When first started. Yeah, and, and over the years, it has slowly inched up on a reliance of federal funds. Where mm-hmm. we're standing for state fiscal year 19 is that of all funds going towards child care assistance are federal funds, and 28% are And that does
2: include some TANF dollars also. TANF dollars can be used for child care assistance. Mm -hmm. So
0: basically, the,
2: the state of Iowa
0: gets an influx of federal funds, both through the Child Care Development Block Grant and through... The TANF block grant, which is actually <laughs> used to be in the olden days when we provided cash assistance to families, that was how we did it. We I guess we still do it, just mm-hmm. less of it. Um, and so then the state then makes choices around how it's going to use those right. funds within and there is a match requirement also, right? And so over time, that the state is letting the feds isn't isn't meeting. At the same is it isn't it matching to the same degree the federal money? Right. And we've
1: also drawn an artificial line with this one hundred and forty five percent of poverty income eligibility. Um, you know, two years ago, when the federal government uh, doubled the block grant amount, that came with strings attached of that you would expand your program, that you will uh, supplement, not supplant funding. Many other states took those funds and expanded their eligibility far and away above what we're doing. We're really low in the mm-hmm. nation. Uh, I, I think we're floating around 11th lowest uh, at this point. Um, can't really go much lower than that, um, and and only way is up. I always look to our neighbors to the north, our neighbors to the east and west, other Midwest country, uh, states that have, have taken these programs and have really expanded them that meet the needs of the workforce, that meet the needs of those parents, and the child care providers themselves. Here we are. We've been at 145 for as long as I've been advocating for this program, um, and it hasn't moved yet. Um, other states, Minnesota to our North, there are areas that are hitting 250% of poverty. And on top of that, they have additional programs such as child care scholarships, which help reduce those co-pays for families to next to nothing. Um, and, and so that's kind of my example of when you do proper investments, when you really, um, kind of uh, cultivate this program and understand the need and really work towards the needs of of young families, Uh, that's where we could be 10, 15 years in the future if we focused in on these things. We're not there yet, though.
0: Well, Dave and Sheila, thanks so much for coming in and talking. And thanks so much for, you know, going up to the Capitol and fighting. I mean, beating your head. I mean, (laughs) fighting the good fight every day. Exactly. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you.